Wisdom. Nothing we desire compares with her. That's Proverbs 8.11. And that's why we need to understand and apply wisdom in all things, mind, body, and soul. And this short podcast helps you do just that. And please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. I really appreciate your feedback. And please pass this on to your friends, guys in the men's group at church, everyone you see. On this episode, a Wisdom in All Things special series is kicking off. In the 16th chapter of Corinthians, you'll find these two verses tucked in there, seemingly as a random stream of consciousness, part of Paul's closing in his first letter to the uh, church in Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. This has always struck me as odd. Why did God have Paul just stick in those two verses at that point of his letter to the Corinthians? On one hand, it seems randomly inserted betwixt a a concern for Apollos and Stephanus. But on the other, it it does make sense, given that the section of the letter is titled, in some versions of the Bible, The Final Instructions. I know God doesn't do random. Perhaps there are characteristics about these two men that brought to mind the broader exhortation in verses 13 and 14. Of Stephanus and his household, Paul stated that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints, be subject to to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. That's 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 through 18. You can see that Paul thought highly of Stephanus and the other fellow workers, but more than esteem and respect them, observe the rigor in Paul's word choice in the two verses that we'll be focusing on in this special series. They preceded the description of Stephanus. They come from Adam Clark. He was an Irish Methodist theologian and biblical scholar, late, six, uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. This is how he describes the terms used in the two verses that we'll be focused on. The terms in this verse, he says, are all military. Watch ye, watch and be continually on guard, lest you be surprised by your enemies. Next, stand fast in the faith. Keep in your ranks, do not be disorderly, be determined to keep your ranks unbroken. Keep close together. Next, quit yourselves like men. When you're attacked, do not flinch. Maintain your ground, resist, press forward, strike home, keep compact, conquer. Next, be strong. If one company or division be opposed by too great a force of the enemy, strengthen that division and maintain your position. Summon up all your courage, sustain each other, fear not, for fear will invenerate you. End quote. This is someone you'd not only want to go into battle with, but someone you'd certainly want to do ministry with. One other observation I'd like to make is that while the exhortation seems a, a bit militant at first, it is balanced with the way our actions are to be carried out. Listen to this quote from Alexander McLaren. He was a Scottish Baptist minister, writer, early 1800s to uh, the early 1900s. He says, there is a singular contrast between the first four of these exhortations and the last. The former rings sharp and short like pistol shots. The last is of gentler mold. The former sound like the word of a command shouted from an officer along the ranks. And there's a military metaphor running through all of them. The foe threatens to advance. Let the guards keep their eyes open. He comes nearer. Prepare for the charge. Stand firm in your ranks. The battle is joined. Quit you like men. Strike a man's stroke. Be strong. 
And then all of the apparatus of warfare is put away out of sight, he says, and the captain's words of the command is softened into the Christian teacher's exhortation. Let all your deeds be done in charity, for love is better than fighting and is stronger than swords, end quote. In this five-part Wisdom in All Things special series, we'll unpack the implications of these two verses from Paul as they highlight five essential factors for living a life of purpose, wisdom, and impact. Part one is going to be focused on the first two words, be watchful. Here's the verse again, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. That's 1 Corinthians 16 verses 13 through 14. Let's first explore the discipline and duty of watchfulness. Watch for cars, watch your waist, watch what you're doing. Lots of watching, with good reason, because there are a lot of things to watch out for, both good and bad. Paul doesn't directly identify anything in particular that we're to watch out for, but that we should be in a state of watching. We are to be actively and continually watchful. Here is how a few other versions of the Bible describe the first two words, be watchful. The King James Version renders them as watch ye, the message, keep your eyes open, and the New International Version translating them as be on your guard. Combining those translations into one statement, you can get a pretty good overall understanding of what Paul is getting at. You, eyes open, be on guard. So how do we be watchful? Let's just start by looking more closely at the word be. At its core, be is a state of existence. It's about being existing, living. In its most basic sense, it indicates existence or presence. However, the word be is a copula, meaning it connects a subject to a predicate. It can also have several other implications depending on the context in which it's used. For example, when we say I am, we are not simply stating that we exist. We're also implying that we are a certain way. We may be implying that we are confident, assertive, determined, Or we may be implying that we are humble, meek, or submissive. If we say, be a man, we are simply not asking someone to be male. We are implying that they should be strong, courageous, responsible. Similarly, if we say, be a lady, we're not simply asking someone to be female. We're implying that they should be polite, gracious, respectful. In both of these cases, the word be is being used to infer or insist on a certain type of behavior. The speaker is not simply asking the listener to be a certain way, but is an imperative, demanding that the listener behave in this certain way. When we see the word be in a biblical context, it's often a call to action. It's not just about existing. It's how we should exist. Take our two words, for example, be watchful. It's a call to vigilance, to be alert, to take action in being attentive and cautious, and doesn't really allow for any other response than action. The word watchful suggests that we should be actively paying attention to our surroundings and we should be prepared to take action if necessary. In that sense, the word watchful can also imply a sense of suspicion or distrust. It may mean that we are to be weary of others and to be on the lookout for deception and betrayal. Peter attaches a a reason for his insistence on our being watchful. You avoid being devoured. In 1 Peter 5.8, says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The ESV Global Study Bible identifies other instances where we are to be watchful. Proverbs 15.3, keeping watch on the evil and the good. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. 
Hebrews 13, 17, they are keeping watch over your souls. Pastor David Guzik highlights that Jesus also commanded us to watch. In Matthew 24, 42, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then Mark 13, verses 14 through 18. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. When Jesus used the metaphor of being watchful, it most often referred to a second coming. Well, Paul also used it in the same way. In our two verses, he distinctly emphasizes we are to stay awake and keep our eyes open, understanding that, as Alexander McLaren highlights, there is the military idea underlying it. McLaren says, what will become of an army if the sentries go to sleep? And what chance will a Christian have of doing his devoir, that's duty or responsibility, against his enemy, unless he keeps himself awake and keeps himself alert, end quote. As with the military, watchfulness is also part of the discipline and duty of the Christian life. But our diligence is not only in watching our surroundings, but also requires a thorough examination of our motives. Steering clear of obvious wrongdoings is one thing, but to respond quickly and effectively to the subtle and sudden attacks of temptation, we must scrutinize the entry points of deceptive motives. It'd be no different than securing the front door, but leaving the back door wide open for trouble. Part of staying watchful is making a habit to inspect our motives and the reasons driving our actions. Why am I doing this? The Apostle Paul is like a seasoned coach urging his audience to stay vigilant, not just a casual watch, but a thorough monitoring of themselves. It's a watchfulness that extends to every nook and cranny of their lives, thoughts, affections, words, actions, and even their whole conversations. And it's not a solo mission. They're also called to keep an eye on each other. The goal, to steer clear of bad principles, resist evil practices, and be on guard against the sneakiest entry points of sin. There's a laundry list of things to watch out for. Unbelief, the relentless schemes of Satan, the alluring traps of the world, and the deceptive teachings of false prophets. Matthew Henry says the Corinthians were in manifest danger upon many accounts. Their feuds ran high. The irregularities among them were very great. There were deceivers that got among them who endeavored to corrupt their faith in the most important articles, those without which the practice of virtue and piety could never subsist, end quote. Whether the danger is from inside or outside the church, we are urged to consider all that is at stake. There's a whole audience watching, the omniscient eyes of God, the attentive gaze of angels, the supportive look from fellow saints, and the scrutinizing eyes of both good and evil people. Even the eyes of devils are waiting for a chance to wreak havoc. But beyond the audiences, unwatchfulness opens the door to a host of evils, temptations, and snares. And to sharpen the point even further, we never know when Christ might make his appearance, whether in the form of death or the final judgment. So keeping watch is not just a task, it's a necessity. So here's a guide to being watchful. A person who's exercising watchfulness in their lives is someone aware of the world around them and can think critically about what they see and hear. They're not easily fooled or manipulated and can make sound decisions based on facts and evidence. You could also describe a watchful person as a a realist because they see the world 
as it is, not as they want it to be. They can identify potential problems and take steps to avoid those, but are also able to see opportunities that others may miss. I see there being three phases in our becoming watchful. Here's phase one. You develop the key characteristics of a watchful person. I've identified four of those. First, attentiveness. It's the ability to pay close attention to your surroundings. You're aware of people, places, things around you. Notice any changes or anything that seems out of place. Pay attention to any negative thoughts or emotions that could cloud your judgment as well. So number one, be attentive to discernment. The ability to distinguish between right and wrong, truth and falsehood. D.L. Moody has a, a good quote to urge us to know God's word in order to spot what isn't true. He put it this way, the best way to show that a stick is crooked is not to argue about it or to spend time denouncing it, but to lay a straight stick alongside it. So characteristic number two, discernment. Third, prudence, the ability to exercise caution when making wise and practical decisions, but also with new information. While we should be open to new information, we should not just accept at face value, ask the right questions, give yourself time to discern, seek counsel as necessary. And the fourth characteristic of being a watchful person in this first phase is vigilance, the ability to constantly be on the lookout for danger or trouble while remaining aware of your biases and assumptions so that you do not cloud your judgment. So attentiveness, discernment, prudence, vigilance, kind of this foundational phase, uh, phase one. Phase two, you add something called situational awareness to those key characteristics. If we're to be diligent, as Paul portends, it would be prudent to add a heightened level of watchfulness with situational awareness. This is a, a critical skill often honed in the military, I realize, but valuable in various aspects of life. It involves being attuned to our surroundings, understanding the environment, assessing the potential risks and opportunities. Here's how a person, especially someone with military training, executes situational awareness. So first observation. The first step is, is keen observation, paying close attention to your surroundings, taking in details like terrain and weather, the behavior of people and objects. This involves actively using all your senses to gather information about your surroundings. So observation, then information gathering. They actively seek information, whether through communication, intelligence reports, maps. This helps in building a comprehensive picture of the current situation. Who around you holds valuable information? Thirdly, risk assessment. You want to evaluate potential risks by identifying potential threats and assessing their severity. It's about understanding what could go wrong and how to mitigate it. Once you have gathered the information, you need to comprehend what it means. This involves understanding the significance of the information and how it relates to your current situation. So there's observation, information gathering, risk assessment, decision making. Based on the information gathered and the risk assessment, make informed decisions. These decisions can range from simple adjustments to complex strategic choices. The final step in, in situational awareness is to project what is likely to happen in the future. This involves using your understanding of the current situation to anticipate potential events and make informed decisions. Next, adaptation. Situational awareness isn't static. It requires constant adaptation as the situation evolves. Be flexible and ready to adjust your plans as needed. Next, team family coordination. Effective situational awareness involves sharing 
information and coordinating actions with teammates or coworkers or family members to achieve a common goal. Then next, you want to maintain focus. Distractions can be detrimental. A person with strong situational awareness remains focused on the task at hand, minimizing distractions that could compromise their understanding of the situation. And then lastly, self-awareness. In addition to external awareness, it's also about understanding your own capabilities and limitations. This self-awareness helps in making realistic decisions. I know, I know a lot there, but considering the words of Paul and how, well, military-like they are, it only naturally, I think, makes sense that we add this second phase of observation, information gathering, risk assessment, decision-making, adaptation, your coordination of your team or family, maintaining focus, and just being self-aware. If we do that, we're going to be really good at situational awareness and really being watchful. But it's a skill that it improves with practice. So while we're not talking about undergoing rigorous military training, we can at least mentally simulate complex scenarios to prepare for real-world situations. The goal is to be able to quickly assess the situation, make informed decisions under pressure sometimes, and adapt as needed. Maintaining a keen eye for detail, remaining vigilant and disciplined, and prioritizing teamwork will benefit our professional and personal context, where having a better understanding of our surroundings, anticipating potential problems, and making sound judgments is crucial. And then, if you want to take it even further, phase three, if you want to go all in, adopt the OODA loop. Military personnel are trained to execute situational awareness through a process known as the OODA loop, not OOMPA loop. It's OODA. It's like weaponizing situational awareness. This phase is a refined, systematic approach to understanding the situation around us, making better decisions, and then taking you know, more effective action. The first O stands for observe. Again, we had kind of talked about this already, but this is the, the refined process, if you will of situational awareness. So first observe, gather information from all available sources, such as sight, hearing, smell, touch, taste. This includes observing the environment, other people, and yourself. So observe. Second, orient. Make sense of the information you've just gathered by analyzing it and integrating it with prior knowledge and experience. This involves identifying patterns and trends and anomalies. So observe, orient, D is decide. Make a decision based on the information gathered and analyzed. This may involve choosing a course of action, making a recommendation, issuing a warning. And finally, you got to act. Take action based on the decision that you've made. This may involve moving to a new position, engaging the quote-unquote enemy, or providing assistance to others. That's observe, orient, decide, act. This process is continuous and cyclical. As new information becomes available, the OODA loop is repeated. This allows us to maintain a high level of situational awareness and to make informed decisions in rapidly changing and uncertain environments. So hopefully you're seeing the direct connection between being watchful and exercising wisdom. In order to make the best decisions, to act wisely, we need to know what is going on inside us as well as all around us. And what better way to know what is going on than to watch intently. Someone who's living a, a sense of watchfulness will be observant, vigilant, thoughtful, engaged. They'll actively observe and listen to the world around them with curiosity rather than passive detachment. They are present in the moment, grounded in reality, conscious of risks and patterns, self-aware, and trying to comprehend things more deeply. Part two of the Wisdom in All Things special series will focus on standing firm in the faith. 
Thanks for listening to the Wisdom in All Things podcast. You can get this and more wisdom over there at wisdominallthings.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast as well. And again, thanks for listening.